Good afternoon. It is a blessing to be here today. Uh, my, my prayer is that uh, God will be glorified by, by the things that, that we study here together, uh, that your attention will be drawn towards the truth and the power of God's word. Um, I pray for, for my mouth. Uh, I pray for your ears uh, and your heart as we each seek to, uh, to make application of the things that we study together to, to be more who God wants us to be. We live in a broken world full, filled with broken people. Every day, sin is tearing homes apart, ruining relationships, enslaving souls, and destroying lives. And although all of us have experienced that brokenness, Sometimes as we grow and as we seek to live righteous and holy lives, as we seek to, to separate ourselves from, from the, the wickedness of the world around us, uh, we can reach a point where we forget what it is like um, or, or, or we fail to see uh, the brokenness uh, within ourselves, uh, that we forget what it was like to be without God in the world. And we can become incapable of reaching out to a broken world and ill-equipped to do the work of the great physician. But Jesus didn't look to the morally upright and reputable among society um, as his primary evangelistic context. He reached out to tax collectors and sinners, those messed up, uh, those with broken lives. And so if we're going to do the work of the great physician, we need to learn how to minister to people with broken lives. If somebody walked in these doors today and confessed that they have an alcohol problem, that they have a drug addiction, that they're struggling with with clinical depression, that they have a broken marriage and a broken family, uh, that they have a pornography addiction, that they have been living lives of of fornication or adultery or homosexuality, Um, that they aborted their unborn child. How would we respond to that person? Would we be equipped to help them find forgiveness and healing in the Lord? Would we be equipped to do the work of the great physician? There may be times, certainly, where, where... medical uh, or, or professional help is needed, but, but when it comes to healing the wounds of the soul and the effects of spiritual brokenness in our life, brethren, we need to be the professionals. <laughs> Those who are nourished and equipped by God's word need to be doing the work of the great physician. We need to be able to offer help, support, and healing the kind of healing that only God can provide. And so today I I want us to think about seven things that I think every broken soul needs to hear uh, when they walk through these doors, when they encounter um, one of us as as servants of the great physician. The first thing I want us to consider uh, is that broken people need to hear you are in the right place. You know, instead of being shamed for having the audacity to bring their broken lives into such a pristine uh, place of holiness and worship, 
they need to know that we are overjoyed that they are here. And this is exactly where God wants them to be. It's not easy to admit our brokenness. It's not easy to reach out for support, especially if this is somebody coming out of the world, coming maybe into an assembly of strangers, seeking the kind of healing and forgiveness that only God can provide. Um, That takes a great deal of courage. And that kind of heart that would admit its brokenness, that would seek out help and support, um, needs to be commended and needs to be encouraged. In Luke chapter 18, you may remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that that Jesus tells there. Uh, This parable that Jesus tells those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. And the Pharisee stands and prays to himself, thanking God that he's not like other people, that he's not like those sinners, that he, uh, you know, has, has achieved this level of righteousness and holiness. But the tax collector, standing afar off, is not even willing to lift his eyes into heaven, but beats his breast, praying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Which of those two does Jesus commend? Which of those two does Jesus say goes home justified? It's the heart that recognizes its brokenness, that admits its brokenness, that seeks out the mercy and forgiveness that only God can provide that is commended by our Lord. And in the same way, that's the heart that we need to commend, that we need to encourage. Uh, You know, instead of praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. You You know what the Pharisee should have been praying? God, help me have the heart of that tax collector over there. And so we need to value that heart the way that God values it. We, we talked recently about Psalm 51. You remember in Psalm 51, as, as David there prays in his brokenness over his sin. If you look with me in Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, do you remember what he says? He says in verse 16, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What made David a man after God's own heart? Is it that he achieved just such a pristine level of holiness and righteousness in his life um, that, that you know, he, he hadn't made? Well, no. In fact, he failed uh, very deeply. He was an adulterer, a deceiver, a murderer. What is the heart that God commends there? It's the broken and contrite spirit. It's the heart that recognizes its need for the Lord, that recognizes its brokenness. That is what is pleasing in the sight of God. And it says there that 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 heart God will not despise. Brethren, do we despise that heart? If God, the creator of the universe the holy of holies, doesn't despise that heart, then let's make sure that we're commending that heart, that we are encouraging and lifting up that heart that is seeking forgiveness, that is seeking healing. In Luke chapter 15, you may remember the the story of uh, the lost sheep. And in Luke chapter 15 and verse 7, at the end of that parable, Jesus says there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need 
no repentance. That's what God wants more than anything else is for broken people to come to him with the broken pieces of their lives, laying them out before him, seeking his forgiveness and his healing. And you think about the joy that is in God's heart, the joy in heaven among the angels over one sinner who repents. What about us? Do we share that joy? Do we reflect that joy? Is that the message that people will get who have broken lives, who come into these doors seeking for the healing of the great physician? They need to know that we are overjoyed, that there is nothing that we take greater pleasure in than seeing broken people come to the Lord that they might be healed. That's the heart of the great physician. That's the heart of the Lord that we serve. They need to know that we appreciate and admire that type of heart and the courage that would bring them to seek out healing in the Lord. But along with that, they need to know that they are not alone. Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Here Paul in verse 12 urges us Uh, when we think we stand to take heed lest we fall, he then says in verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do you notice the first thing that he says there in verse 13? He says, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. What? Why does he say that? What, what's the message there? Is, is Paul saying, you know, it's not that big a deal. Everybody does it. Everybody struggles with it. Don't worry about it. Well, obviously not. <laughs> but, but he recognizes that we need to hear that we're not the only ones struggling, right? It's not to minimize the seriousness of the sin, but it's to help us realize we're not alone in this fight. We're not alone in this spiritual battle. And that's something we need to hear. That's something we need to know. People need to hear that they're not alone, that they're not the only one going through this. They're not the only one fighting this battle. They're not the only one whose life has been broken by sin. And they're certainly not the only one who who needs healing and forgiveness in the Lord. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul speaking to to the Jews, uh, says in verse 9 here, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. What about us? Are we better than they? I'm afraid sometimes we may start to think that we are. As we look at the brokenness of the world around us, it it may become very easy for us to think, well, you know, how messed up is the world? How broken is the world? How foolish is that? I'm no better than they. I, if it wasn't for the grace of the Lord, would be just as broken and ruined as anyone that I encounter in this world. And we need... To say that, we need to believe it. My sins, as respectable as I feel like they might be, as acceptable as they might feel to me, 
They're not any less guilty of having put Jesus on the cross than the drug addict, the homosexual, the adulterer, the murderer. I, as well, through my sins, put the nails in Jesus' hands. And so we can't send the message to broken souls that their sins are, are just, you know, a little bit more depraved or gross than anything that we deal with here. Uh, you know, you really need to, to go somewhere else to get that taken care of. We need to communicate that we need God's healing and forgiveness just as much as they do. Uh, and in that sense, we're all in the same boat. Is that what broken souls hear from us? Is that the message that we reflect? Along with that, they need to hear that we are here to help. You know, God's design for the church is described as a body, a flock, a temple, a family. All of those illustrations show the need that we have for one another. God's design for our spiritual growth um, is that we are knit together for nourishment in a body, that we're packed together for protection in a flock, that, that we're stacked together for support in a temple, uh, that we live together as a family with love. That's God's design, and it can't just apply to those who, you know, I have a lot in common with, to those that I, I share hobbies with, that, that uh, you know, have, we, I've developed relationships with over, over many years uh, that are in a similar stage of life than I am. No, that, that type of support, that type of encouragement needs to be extended most uh, of all to, to those who are the most broken, uh, God's design for broken and weak and struggling people like me is to have that kind of support, to develop those kind of relationships. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter four. Ecclesiastes chapter four, we see some insight into the, the wisdom of relationships as God designed it. Ecclesiastes four, starting in verse nine we read, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. One of the biggest ways we are going to help individuals who are broken by sin, um, first and foremost, bringing them to the Lord for the cleansing of that sin. But as they work through that sin, one of the biggest ways we're going to help them uh, is to give them the kind of support that God has designed for his people to have and relationships with one another. Uh, that they know they have the love and the support of a family here. Uh, that we're rallying around them and lifting them up. And that's what God has called us to do. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, we're told, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We, we have a role to fulfill that doesn't just apply to, to our Sunday gatherings doesn't just to apply the times that we're together. 
God has commanded us, has designed for us to be an encouragement to one another day by day, as long as it's called today. And I haven't encountered a day in my life that's not called today. Um, And so every single day, we need to be functioning as a body, as a flock, as a family, and supporting and encouraging each other. In Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25, We read, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. You know, we many times talk about the importance of the assembly, and that perhaps is is something uh, I'll preach on uh, again here soon. But but when we think about the importance of, of gathering together, I think sometimes we, we, we think about that just for myself. You know, well, I need to be there for me so I can grow. And that, that is extremely true. But do but you notice the focus in that passage? He says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Why do you need to be here? For other people. It's not just that you can, can be a, a consumer, um, you know, uh, be part of the, the audience in this assembly, so to speak. No, we, we are all active participants in stirring one another up to love and good work. And that's God's design. That's why we're here, is so that we can support and encourage each other. It doesn't matter what you're going through in life. It doesn't matter, what, you know, how this, this past week you've fallen. We're here so that we can help one another grow. So we can stir you up that tomorrow and the next day and the day after that, you can live in a way uh, that better reflects the heart of the Lord and his character than you did yesterday. My life as a Christian isn't just about me and the Lord. We need to develop the kind of relationships that God has designed that we're close enough to know when my brother has fallen. Right? In Ecclesiastes 4, what, what's the value of that relationship? If he falls down, I can pick him up. Well, if I'm not close enough to know that he's fallen, then that's not going to do any good, is it? I need to be close enough to see when he's growing cold and needs to be stirred up. I need to be close enough to understand the spiritual, ba- uh, spiritual battles that my brother or sister is facing. We need to, to offer those kind of relationships to one another and to anyone who walks in these doors. That's God's design. That's God's plan. And along with that, broken souls need to hear that God is merciful and gracious. You know, we, we certainly need to uh, have sermons on the justice and righteousness, and holiness, and wrath of God. We don't want to serve a one-sided God. Um, We we need lessons on on righteous and holy living, on Bible authority, on what the the church is supposed to be. Um, But when somebody comes into these doors with a broken life, seeking healing, we need to make sure that as well we are emphasizing the good news of the gospel. 
that we're emphasizing that Jesus saves, that God delivers, that your sins can be cleansed and wiped away, that you can find healing from the great physician. Do we emphasize that? Is that a message that uh, people would, would regularly hear in coming here? 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, we read, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The righteousness and the faithfulness of God here give us assurance that our sins can be cleansed. Um, you know, normally we, we might think about the, the mercy and the grace of God, but even the righteousness and the faithfulness of God here are emphasized. The, the righteous sacrifice of Jesus, the faithful promise that God gives, uh, grants us assurance that no stain of sin is so deep that the blood of Jesus can't wash it away. And the condition there in 1 John chapter 1 isn't that we need to you know, reach a certain level of, of holiness. And we need to reach a certain level of righteousness. And then Jesus' blood will kick in. And then we'll start being forgiven. No, what God wants is for us to bring our sins into the light. He wants us to confess our sins, to pour out our broken and contrite spirit before him. And that, he says is where the assurance of forgiveness comes from. It's not my righteousness. It's not my holiness. No, it's the faithfulness and the righteousness of God that grants me that forgiveness. You know, many times when, when people have been deeply broken by sin, when they're experiencing a lot of consequences of those sins, they're enslaved to that sin, their relationships are ruined because of that sin. It can be very easy uh, for us to develop the mindset that, well, I, you know, God, God can't forgive me. I, I'm unworthy of his forgiveness. Of course we're unworthy of his forgiveness. <laughs> That's the entire point. That's what grace and mercy are. And if we come to the Lord thinking that we're worthy of his forgiveness, we've missed it entirely. Of course you're not worthy. And that's what God wants you to understand before you can experience the cleansing that he has for you. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, we read, While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Brethren, do you see yourself in that passage? We weren't righteous people that God died for. We weren't good people that God died for. We were enemies of God. We were ungodly. We were helpless. And yet, those are the people that Jesus died for. In Luke 23, remember Jesus as he's on the cross, as he is being mocked, as the, the blood is, is draining out of his body. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Do, do you think my sins are so bad that I can't be forgiven by the Lord? No, the very ones who nailed Jesus to the cross, 
He was crying out to the Father for their forgiveness. You know, if, if we think that, that baptism is something that good people do, we've misunderstood what the gospel is all about. Baptism is something that bad people do to become good. That's who I was. And by God's grace, that old man has been buried and raised to walk in newness of life. He doesn't just give us salvation begrudgingly. No, he gives us salvation joyously and abundantly. Look, look back in Luke chapter 15. We, we referenced the, the parable of the lost sheep just briefly here, but he goes on in Luke 15 to tell the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son as we might know it. And we learn a lot of lessons in this parable about our attitude towards broken people. Uh, we, we could spend a lot more time if we wanted to looking at the attitude of the older brother here um, that really addresses the, the heart of the Pharisees that look down upon others broken by sin. But, but I want us to focus in on the heart of the father here. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 20. Remember that the son, the prodigal son here, recognizes uh, the foolishness of what he's done, recognizes that he's unworthy even to be uh, a servant in the father's house. In verse 20, it says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm not, no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robes and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Do you see the heart of the father there? You know, did, did the father kind of see his son coming a long way off and say, oh boy, you know, now he's coming home. I, this is going to be a difficult conversation. Uh, I better brace myself for this. No. He saw him a long way off and he ran to him and he embraced him and he kissed him and he celebrated and he wanted to kill the fatted calf. Let's rejoice. Because my son, who was dead, is alive. Brethren, do we have the heart of the Father? How do we respond to broken people around us? You know, when, I'm going to really step on my toes here. Uh, you know, when, when I'm studying with somebody and, and I realize more and more how broken and messed up their life is, do I think, oh boy, this is going to be really tough. Or I think this is exactly what Jesus has the power to fix. Amen. We need the heart of the Father, brethren. We need to give broken people this kind of reception as the Father and his servants do. And along with God's mercy and God's grace, God is patient and compassionate. And not only... Uh, are our past sins forever erased? 
But God will continue to be patient and compassionate as we grow. His grace will continue to cleanse us as we work through the weaknesses and struggles of our past life. God doesn't expect newborn Christians um, to reflect the spiritual maturity of a full-grown adult. Look with me in Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verse 11 through 14. Starting in verse 11, we, we see how God responds to our past sins, to those who have come to him with a broken and contrite spirit. He says in verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God doesn't despise or disdain the weakness of our flesh. Now it says there in in verse uh, 14, God remembers that we are dust. What does that mean? Well, God created us and he knows how he created us. He knows that, that he made our bodies out of the dust. And there's a sense in which God made us weak. Now, don't misunderstand me here. Uh, but, but God made us with bodies of a flesh, bodies of dust, so that we might recognize how much we depend on him, right? From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, even before sin entered into the world, they're dependent on God, right? God made us dependent creatures, And so when we come to him with our weakness, when we come to him with our foolishness, seeking his wisdom, seeking his strength, God doesn't despise that. No, that's what God wants us to do. From the very beginning, God designed us to be dependent on him. So God doesn't despise our requests for his wisdom. Remember James chapter one, he who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. God isn't looking down on us and saying, oh boy, yep, you need my strength again. Yeah, you need my wisdom again. No, that's what God wants. God remembers. God knows how he made us. And as we struggle and as we grow, he wants us to constantly be coming to him with our struggles. Uh, He understands the emotions that he gave us. He understands the desires that we struggle with. He is tender and compassionate as a father with his children. Look in Hebrews chapter 4 with me. Hebrews chapter 4. Here we see another uh, source of of comfort and confidence in God's God's patient and compassionate nature. In in, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How are we able to approach the throne of grace here? 
it, does God want us, you know, in, in this sense to be very hesitant to approach this throne of grace? I really don't know if I should go there. No, God has given us Jesus as our mediator so that we might not have to be hesitant coming into his presence, but we might be able to come confidently and boldly because Jesus knows what it's like to be in the flesh. And that confidence isn't in ourselves. It's not, you know, that that we feel worthy enough to come into God's presence. Certainly, that's not what it's about at all. The confidence is in Jesus. We, We need to picture Jesus taking us by the hand, bringing us into the Father's presence and saying, Father, Grady needs your help. And that's where my confidence comes from. That Jesus is there, he knows, he understands, and he wants to bring me into God's presence. And so as we struggle with our sins, and as we deal with others who are struggling with enslavement to sin, we need to encourage them that they can have confidence coming into God's presence by the blood of Jesus, by his intercession. Jesus is there. Um, to intercede for us, uh, to give us confidence in God's patience, God's compassion. And broken people need to know that with God's help, they can change. Sometimes we can become so beaten down and burdened by sin uh, that it's very easy for us to lose hope. We, we might begin to think, well, this, this sin, this is just who I am. I'm broken. I'm worthless. I'm too far gone. I'll never be able to be who God wants me to be. On our own, that's all true. But by God's grace, we're not on our own. With God's help, we can change. We need to help people have confidence in the Lord. To help build a genuine faith and trust in God's power to break those chains. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as Paul is writing to a church of a bunch of people with broken and messed up lives. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Brethren, it doesn't matter how messed up your life is. It doesn't matter if you are a a drunkard, uh, an adulterer, an idolater, a fornicator, or a homosexual. God can wash us. God can cleanse us. God can transform us. God was helping people transform their lives back 2,000 years ago, and he's still doing it today. If we surrender our broken heart into the healing hands of God, he can help mold us into something wonderful, into something new. Remember we read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Uh, There in that verse it said, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Do we believe that? Do we foster a confidence in others that that is true? That God 
can give them victory over their sins, that God can make a way for them to overcome. You know, that doesn't say that the way of escape is going to be easy, that, that God's path, you know, he, he's just going to flip a switch and now we don't struggle with that anymore. But there is always a way of escape that God has provided. And so often our path may be difficult. It may require great sacrifice and courage, but God will always give us the strength uh, to, uh, to see us through. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're reminded that the spiritual battle that we face is not against flesh and blood. We're, we're not on equal footing with the devil, right? He's been at this a whole lot longer than we have. Uh, and he has a lot more tools in, in his arsenal than, than we in our flesh can handle. But we're not alone. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, we're told, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. It doesn't matter how strong Satan is. With God's help, we can have the victory. He is stronger. We need to take on the full armor of God, having done everything to stand firm. While we shouldn't underestimate the, the challenge of the spiritual battle ahead of us, we need to have a deep confidence in the power of the tools that God has provided us to overcome. I want to look at one last thing that we uh, and those around us as broken people need to hear. That's, I'm confident in you. You know, sometimes when we work with other people that are really struggling, are really having a hard time, keep falling to the same <laughs> sin over and over again, it's very easy for us, um, for them, to develop the mindset that, you know, this person's life is just too messed up. There's no way that they're ever going to be able to overcome this. And if that's my attitude in working with somebody, that's going to come out in the way that I approach them. But I, I want you to notice something throughout the epistles that shows up time and time and time again. You know, in some of these epistles, Paul or, or others are, are writing to churches that are really messed up. Think about Corinth. Think about the churches of Galatia that were turning to another gospel. But I want you to see what he says. In Hebrews, the Hebrew writer, chapter 6 and verse 9, after he gets done telling them that they ought to by this time be teachers, he says in verse 9, But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. Yeah, you're not doing too well right now. But we're, we're confident that, that you, by God's grace and with his power, are capable of growing. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 16. Remember the church in Corinth that we talked about. We've studied recently on Tuesday nights all the problems that they were having. Chapter 7 and verse 16, Paul writes, I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. That's the church in Corinth. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 10, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 and 7, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. Philemon chapter 1 verse 21, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. Do you see a pattern there? <laughs> time and time and time again, 
Paul, even on the very heels of giving a very harsh rebuke, says, but I know. And his confidence ultimately is in the Lord. I know that in the Lord, you'll grow. You'll change. Is that the message that we give to other people? Or do we kind of secretly in our hearts think, oh boy, what's wrong with you? If that's our attitude, that's going to come out in the way that we work with people. That's not what God wants us to think. That's not how God wants us to approach other people. We need to see the good hearts and people that, that brought to them to this point of seeking healing and encourage them, express confidence in them that we know with God's grace and with his power, they can grow. Is this what broken people hear when they enter the walls of this building, when they uh, come in contact with us? I know it's not always what I've communicated, but I want to grow and I want you to grow. Let's commit to being better representatives of the great physician and equip ourselves more and more to minister to broken people. Are you spiritually broken today? You're at the right place. We're here to help. God is gracious and merciful. God is patient and compassionate. With God's help, you can change. We're confident of it. Are you willing to bring your broken heart to God today? There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There would be nothing that would bring us more joy today than if someone here recognized uh, a need to to make uh, a public confession of their brokenness, to ask for the prayers of these brethren. If somebody recognizes that they've never had their sins washed away, by God's grace, the old man of sin can be buried, dead, gone, And you can be raised to walk in newness of life. If there's anything that we can do to help you today, um, we would rejoice greatly uh, to to come beside you, to lift you up, uh, to encourage you with the grace and, and compassion of the Lord. If we can help you in any way, won't you please make that known at this time as we stand and sing together?